Welcome to Wildcat Chat, featuring the many voices of Garinger High School. This podcast features many voices from Garinger High School, including students, faculty, staff, administration, and others. This podcast does not reflect any endorsement or sponsorship from Garinger High School or Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools. There may be minor, unedited, explicit content within this podcast at times. The views and opinions that are expressed in this program are those of the speakers alone. They do not reflect the opinions, the views, or positions of any entities represented, including, but not limited, to Garinger High School and Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools. Hope everybody's doing well. Welcome to the Wildcat Chat podcast. Uh, On today's podcast, we've got two of our teachers here, Jay Mill, Mr. Miller, yep. Jacob Miller, and Mr. Brandon Miller. Yep. The Miller so. Miller connection. Miller Square, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Miller Square. So uh, how are you guys doing? Doing all right. Doing all right. We're, uh, it's Friday, so I'm excited, to, to, I'm, I'm excited for the weekend. Um, I'm excited to sleep in tomorrow, um, play, play a little video games where I haven't been able to do, watch some TV. Fold some clothes and then go back to sleep. I'm excited. I'm excited. It's Friday. My kids are doing a mock trial today, so that should be fun. We're putting Harry Truman on trial for dropping the atomic bomb. Okay. And I do not get to sleep in the morning. I got to drive for Jordan Driving School. Uh, you know, driving. We're not sponsored by Jordan Driving no. School, so not plugged. Okay. No. Yeah. Yeah. So no. Just I mean, want to make sure that's out there. Because awesome. I teach driver's ed too. So. All right, great. So let's let's talk. Uh, you know, there's not really any agenda here, right? We're just talking. So, what what what's going on in education right now? What what do you guys feel like is happening here in education, public education in particular? I was about to say public education is a very broad topic. I was not <laughs> expecting us to go this broad to begin with. Um, I don't know. I. I think that public education is just still struggling from the pandemic. Um, personally, I think that it's one of those things where it's going to take some time. Um, and I think that we've seen kind of as teachers and just since they've come back, it's been a long and kind of rough process um, because I think that we had this idealistic mindset of when they come back, they'll be exactly where they were when when they left um, before the pandemic. And that just we got hit with the harsh reality of it that that's just not the case. Um, And so I think that we've still been kind of, I think that not only us at Garinger, but teachers all across America, all across the world have kind of been struggling of like trying to, we had this idealistic mindset of like, oh, we want them to be back to where they were. But when they came back, their social skills weren't where they where they should be. We saw fights all the time. I mean, there there was a lot of stuff they they just hadn't translated to this new grade. And I mean, you think about it when they in 20, 2020, they were in eighth grade and now they're in 10th grade. And so, yes, they might have physically matured, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they mentally matured to that 10th grade mindset. Um, and so I think that this, I think that you've seen definite improvement. Um, I think that there's still a lot of things that still a lot of bad habits that you saw in, the, the pandemic of not showing up to class. Um, 
and and them kind of getting away with it that you still see in this like this semester i mean right now even um but i think that it's just been one of those things where kind of it's it's been a struggle just because you have this you have this picture perfect student that you want these kids to be um but the harsh reality of it is is that the pandemic affected everybody in so many adverse ways um that it's kind of it's kind of rough um and I mean, teachers can only do so much, and I feel like administration tries to kind of put the blame on the teachers, but it's like, we've done 98.5% of the work, we're just wanting 1.5%, and we can't get that. And it's like, if I have kids who I have not seen a singular time this semester, like, I don't know what they want me to do. Like, we're, we're what, set, like, this is day 72 of the new semester. We're, we're 160 days into the school year, and I've got kids that I haven't seen since day one. Yeah. And this is 71 days, yeah. but somehow with this idea of kids getting 50s, you know, they're passing my class. They haven't shown up a single day. I will say that one thing that I do like, or I, I think that if they attempt it, I, I, I could understand the argument of if they attempt it, they get 50s. But one thing that I did not like about the, the COVID, like COVID and everything was like, even if you didn't do anything, you still got a 50. Because, I mean, there's, an, there's a chain reaction. You have a domino effect of if somebody gets a 50 for not doing anything, while well, somebody who should have get, got a 50, now you – I mean, I don't think that it's yeah. equitable. I don't think that it's fair to give them a 50 because yeah. that's the same grade if somebody not doing anything. And so you give them a 70. Well, somebody who you give a 70, do you give them a 70? Because the guy that you just gave a 50 to or deserved a 50, you just gave a 70 to. So it, it kind of had a chain reaction. Yeah. Um, I do think, though, that, like, I can understand the idea of – if they attempted it, they have to get at least a 50. Um, and so I think that that gives people like a chance um, to kind of keep it up. And and I was – my first year here, I was a very big proponent of like I do not like this idea of giving them something that they don't deserve. Um, but I'm still not the biggest fan of it, but I could still kind of see the argument because like say for instance in – and we hear this all the time. Like say for instance in quarter one – they had 12% grade. Well, if they try to rectify it and try to do everything that they want need to do in order to pass, they could get literally 100% and that wouldn't give them – they could get 100% in quarter two and they couldn't get uh, – like they couldn't pass the class. So um, giving them a 50 at the end of the quarter, it's still failing, but at least gives them a fighting chance. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm just glad that – I'm okay with giving them a 50 at the end of the quarter, but I don't like giving them 50s if they didn't turn anything in. Right. So giving them a, still a zero I think is okay. How, how much does attendance play, play into this? I know we talk a lot about attendance here. We, we have some attendance uh, opportunities, right? Oh, yeah. I what, mean, what's, what's going on? What, what do you feel? What's the pulse? What's the temperature? I mean, Check. attendance has been terrible, but yeah. that, but I think that that's still the after effects of COVID. COVID. Um, because I think what happened was, and this is just, and if you want to get to the heart of it, mm-hmm. I think what happened was is that when, when we went to COVID, mm-hmm. people lost, adults lost their jobs. 
And because there was a gap in where they are now to where they were, those students had to try to fill those gaps. And so the reason why we didn't have very good attendance or why people weren't paying attention or whatever it is, is because I personally think, especially with our kids, they were trying to fill that gap. They were trying to get jobs at McDonald's or Chick-fil-A or wherever it was in order to try to kind of support their family. Um, But it's one of those things where, yes, the economy might have got better and yes, the COVID might have got better, but it's one of those things where if you're talking to a 15-year-old kid who loves expensive things, they love the Jordans, they love the PS5s, they love everything else. If you're going from, okay, I was working 40 hours a week during COVID to now we're out of COVID, um, they're still going to want to work. Um, and, and I think that that is one of the, the basis problems. But I also think not only did we kind of see the influx of working during COVID, but we also saw... Um, people kind of get in this lazy habit. And I, and I think that it's a two-part thing of like, it kind of encouraged laziness, but it also encouraged like working. And so it's kind of hard because like you got some people who are, who aren't coming to school because they don't feel like coming to school where you have other people who are like, I have, I have some kids in my class who are working construction jobs 40 hours a week. Um, and so they're not coming to school because their job wouldn't allow them to come to school. But at the so same time, it's kind of tough. I think the state kind of dropped the ball on that too with the, like getting rid of the 10 day absence policy. So like we had this expectation that, you know, it's the law, you have to come to school. And then when COVID hit, we kind of dropped that 10 day expectation. And so kids were like, oh, well, I can go, I can miss as many days as I want to because they're not going to hold it against me. And this is what, this is our second year since the pandemic and this is like really the first year that we've been back full time we still haven't implemented that 10-day policy and so now it's to the point to where like because my kids are like Mr. Miller I do not have to be here every day in order to pass this class like you're not going to fail me kids tell me that and so I think that has that had its effects to uh also um you know the kids are working all the time too I get that well I work so many hours a week and I don't think anybody's really checking up on it like they did because you know pre-pandemic if a kid worked more than if it was reported they worked more than 20 hours a week you know they were they alerted the school and like you had to get everybody involved but I don't think anybody's been following up on that Mm. either enforcing that 20 hours a week interesting Um, because a lot of them work with their parents they go to work with their parents and so there's no there's no accountability that I don't want to say accountability but there's no there, there's no limits because limits. because yeah. there it's not it's not a employee job like it would be at a McDonald's right for a lot of these kids where they're working construction jobs or they're yeah. working with their parents they're getting paid under the table and so it's one of those things where if they work if that if their parent says hey I'll give you ten dollars an hour if you come work for me and I'll give it to you in cash um, then they can work 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Obviously, we don't see probably 15, 60 hours a week, but they're still, they're not following the North Carolina guidelines. Right. Um, but I think that, and as much as I, it pains me to say it, I think that that's just kind of with the demographic that we have. I mean, we're talking about 50% Hispanic, uh, about 40% black. Like, that's what 
the the demographic that's what's going to happen with this kind of demographic of like they're going to work for their parents because if they don't then that's less money not only that they get but their parents get um and that's just the problem of a title one school but going back to bmo's point i pulled up my attendance for um i pulled up my attendance for the final all right for for f1 and in second period alone out of my 27 students the amount of people who have missed 10 or more days is 19 of those 27 Hmm. And wow. so the, the amount of kids out of those 19 out of the 27 who have missed over 10 or more days, the amount of people that I probably have over 20 or more absences. So we're not saying that they missed it by, they might not be at 11. It's probably not at 12, but probably out of like 20 or more, I would say probably about 15 of them, 15 out of the, the 19 or 20 or more absences. So it's just one of those things where it's, it, and like I said earlier, it's it's tough because you want you want to do what's best for these kids, um, and there is no as, as much as we want to be teachers, we want to be educators. Mm-hmm. We try to have the compassion aspect of it, and like if a person's working forty hours a week to like, if somebody's working forty hours a week to support their family, I can't say as a man that I don't respect that. And, and I understand that we want to like, we want them to have an education. We want them to have all this. Um, but it's tough because you, you want them to do what's best for themselves, but also doing what's best for yourselves in the long term is coming to school. But if you don't work and if you don't work that 40 hours a week, there's no telling that your family could afford rent or your family could afford the car or whatever it is. And so I I think that it's, it's tough. Um, and, and not only from a supporting your family perspective, but like I said earlier, the kids, they enjoy having money. Um, and, and they don't inherently have money. It's not like at a Myers Park or an Audrey Kale where daddy gives you a thousand dollars a week or a thousand dollars a month. Like, these kids, in order to have money, to have the Jordans, to, in order to have the PS5s, in order to have the newest and best and the brightest things, um, they're, they're going to have to work for it and they're going to have to work their asses off for it. Right. Um, but right. I, I think that it's, it's a tough situation. Um, and I'm sure that people at Myers Park and people at Audrey Kale, they might face attendance problems. But I, And I don't even – I would be interested to know how many of the – I mean, we have the the most absences. We're we have, we're the most chronically absent school in the district. We're at fifty six percent. Yeah, is what we learned in the last SIT meeting. Okay. Yeah, so like we're the most chronically absent school in the district. My question would be: out of those fifty six percent who are chronically absent, how many of them are working? Because I think as as teachers, I have this. Even now, I'm having this idealistic idea of like hopefully out of that fifty six percent who are at chronically absent hopefully most of them 90 percent of them 75 percent of them are missing because of they have to they have to work or they have to take care of their siblings or something like that um whereas maybe it's that maybe 10 percent is doing that but maybe the 60 percent is just like no i just don't want to come just because i don't want to come um and i think that if that's the case and that's a that's a bigger issue that i don't know how to rectify well, these are these are more like traditional things. What about a non-traditional approach to attendance? So that's I mean, what what you know, like we talk a lot about you know seat time, mm-hmm. 
you know, I'm I'm of the belief that maybe uh, seat time needs, needs to be replaced with some other, you know, apprenticeships or internships or work work type work related, uh, you know, you know, work work related objectives possibly. I mean, is that would that possibly help be a solution to some of these attendance issues? Yeah. You know, yeah. so. You know, in Canvas, it, it records how long a student works in Canvas. Like, you can see that. Could Canvas time not count as, like, seat time? You know, so, like, so, like, when they're working, when they come home, they can go on Canvas and they can do their work. And so I think that's been a major player in, in, in this past two years. Everybody's kind of, like, jumped to Canvas. And at first I didn't like Canvas, but now I love Canvas. I just put an assignment on Canvas and be like, it's in Canvas. You got it. And so there are a lot of kids that are working and are out of school, but they're still turning in their work and they're doing it on Canvas. And I can go in and I can see, okay, well, they spent, they didn't just spend two minutes on the assignment because Canvas will tell you. They spent 12 minutes, you know, working on this or they spent an hour and 35 minutes on this project. Yeah, and there's and, really good analytics in Canvas that, yeah. that will identify, you know, how much time they spend, what, yeah. what they're doing, what they're looking. You can even go drill into, you know, what page they're looking at. Yeah, you know, and how often they're looking at it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of torn on this idea because I, I agree with you in one aspect, but I disagree with you in another aspect. Um, the reason why is because I've had Canvas open this whole time, and if you look at my numbers, it will say, oh, uh, Jacob Miller's on Canvas right now, and oh, he's. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm working. I mean, it, I saw this, I literally saw this last year because it showed you how much time they spent in Canvas. And I had kids who would put in 103 hours worth yeah. of time on Canvas for my class alone. And they didn't, and they didn't turn in a single assignment. And it's like, well, you, just because you have it open doesn't mean that it's necessarily you're working right. the entire time. Now, if you go into that deeper analytics of like you're seeing exactly what they're looking at and you're looking, you're seeing exactly what they're doing on Canvas, then I think that's a different story. Mm -hmm. um, but to go back to your original question, I think that I think that one of the big things that I wish that Geringer did is know its demographic. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we're talking. Don't get me wrong. I I mean, you're, Lo, your your business, and and I love that. Like we have like. The, the CTE department it, as strong as it is, but there's no reason why at a, at a large Hispanic school, we don't have an auto shop. I don't understand why we don't have um, certain opportunities in the community mm -hmm. where we can actually go out and like, maybe they could intern and maybe they could uh, even get paid a little bit for like working it. Say for instance, you have, kids who are leaving for fourth block, give them an opportunity to partner with a, a church or uh, to partner with some kind of other organization where they can get these work skills. Because mm -hmm. I think that one of the big things is it, it's, I don't think that we have enough trades, trade opportunities yeah. um, because the harsh reality of it is, is that the majority of the kids who are going to do that or who are graduating high school um, are going to go to some kind of trade or workforce environment. Um, the amount of, and, and it's not by any stretch of the imagination, I'm not saying that like it's better one way doing trade or it, going to college or whatever it is. But um, I think that like, 
if you know that that's going to be their future, why not prepare them for that? Like the amount of times that I've met a kid who wants to be a mechanic, and like that wants to be a mechanic is probably over in the hundreds now. And like the fact that we don't have an auto shop where they can actually train to be a mechanic is, is baffling to me. Yeah. Right. So I would agree because I, I saw a news article couple months ago and they said that trades is a big profession like the the need for people going into trades is a big profession across the nation because the people the, the people in the trades are getting older they're retiring and so there's this shortage there's a HVAC shortage there's a mechanic mechanics plumbers uh, plumbers uh, people in the trades are they're mostly baby boomers and the baby boomers are getting to the age to where they're retiring and for the past 20-something years, and they were talking about it, like 20-plus years, schools and education's been pushing college, 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 and trade schools kind of went by the wayside, and so now there's this big need for um, trades. So maybe maybe education needs to start, like, reevaluating, like, the need, uh, needs assessment of, like, what jobs do we need right now? and start adapting curriculum to match that. Right. Well, I think that we're, we're really starting to um, push into that a lot. Like with CTE, one of the uh, things with the business pathway, the financial wealth building pathway, is teaching students, okay, how do you start a business? What does that look like? How, how do you get financing? That's a major component of this because what, what's happening is in neighborhoods like our neighborhood here at the school, the the students are or the 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 uh, adults, young adults, have business ideas that they have in their head. They they know they've got a viable business they want to start, but they don't understand how do I obtain the financing for this? How do I get the money to be able to start my business? So part of our pathway within the financial planning pathway is to teach students, okay, this is how you go to a bank and this is how you get a loan and this is how you do these things. So I think we are starting along that pathway and that leads it lends itself to you know, these other things like how, do, you know, if you're going to be an automotive mechanic, how do you start your own shop? So you got to have some business background. you got to have some business knowledge in order to figure out, okay, how do I finance this and how do I get it started, right? right. So we are, we're kind of in, you know, kind of the, the, the gate on that a little bit. I still think the, the non-traditional viewpoint, especially surrounding attendance, would be beneficial. And, and I think that we connect students, like what you're saying, I think we connect them with opportunities, but then we don't necessarily, we don't know how to mold that into, how can we translate that into a grade? You know, how do we, we can connect you to this internship, but then we don't use those to translate into the classroom and say, okay, instead of you doing this assignment, this worksheet or this you know, paper or something, we're going to let your work experience, your manager's going to write up a little thing for you, and we're going to let that count as your grade, yeah. right? Like they did in college when I had to do my teaching internship. I had a mentor, and my clinical teacher would, each week, would have to write up, you know, an observation. She would have to do an observation, and she would observe me, and she would send it back to Mr. Tyre, and he would, like, you know, check off the boxes, and he would send it to Mr. Morgan, and Mr. Morgan would put the grade in in Blackboard, you know, and we, we could do something like that. Like, there's a way 
to do it. It's just somebody's got to sit down and figure out how to do it. Right. But I think that to, I mean, I think that this is valuable. Um, but I think that even right now, I think that this is kind of idealistic in, in that aspect of, I think that a lot of this stuff, this, this stress of this traditional, this traditional education of your math, your science, your readings, your social studies, all that kind of stuff. I think that that, I think it starts from the top and works its way down. Um, and I think that the harsh reality of it is, is that particularly in CMS, is that CMS treats Garinger like they treat Myers Park. And then I think that that in itself is, a, is the problem. Um, and so they say, hey, Garinger, if you don't follow these rules that we have set, then we're not going to give you funding or we're going to take allotments from you or we're going to take this, that, and the other. And I think that the problem with that is, is that you're treating it, you're you're trying to be you're you're believing in this idea of quality rather than equity um right and, and i think that it, it's one of those things where like equality you're treating every single school the same way which inherently isn't bad but you're not assessing the needs of each individual school um whereas like garinger who has a low income, you look at the Garingers, you look at the Rocky Rivers, you look at the Vances, um, who are low income schools who need extra help, um, just throwing Title I's funds at them isn't helping the problem. In theory, it should be, but if you look around, what are we using the Title I's for? Uh, so I was right. gonna say, what right. are we as a school using the Title I fund for? Because they give it to us, but then, our administration kind of has to figure out how to spin that. So uh, that's an interesting question that I've been asking, like, where is this money going? What are we using it for? Thank you for listening to Wildcat Chat and the many voices of Garinger High School. The views and opinions that were expressed in this program are those of the speakers alone. They do not reflect the opinions, views, or positions of any entities represented, including, but not limited, to Garinger High School and Charlotte-Mecklenburg Schools.